What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Never Mate Varsity. My name's Colby. You can find me on Twitter at Colby Complains. And hello again. It's your boy Maverick. You can find me on social media for now at Heartbreak Double Underscore Kid. I know we just talked about that last week, but the way you worded that at first, I thought you meant you were quitting social media. Who knows? Oh? No. <laughs> Probably um, not. <laughs> I am Aaron. I thankfully did not get stuck in an elevator today at work. And you can find me on Twitter at Aaron P. Friedman. Lint is on the horizon, so if you did want to give up something, now would be the time to do so, if you are so inclined. Perhaps. That... I believe that we should be able to choose uh, who gets who gets to fast from social media. I think that would be more fun. <laughs> yeah. I stole that, just, by the way. Just I put it to that. a committee. <laughs> All right. Let's talk. Oh, yeah. Uh, David's not here. He's uh, being an adult. <laughs> so the rest of us are here. Let's talk some basketball. So there have been two Carolina men's basketball games since we last talked. We'll talk about State first, 84-74, to a game that was not as close as the score suggests as State games tend to go generally. Um. Yeah, we were up 70-something to 40-something pretty late into the game. Um, yeah, there was one run that State went on where he got a tad bit concerned, but beyond that, I don't think that this game was ever a cause for stress. Yeah, I think one thing that it was almost a morale kind of thing because it was right as Leakey went down with his hyperextended knee, and it was immediately after that that they cut it down to single digits. Yeah, um, and so that's to be expected. Because, like I said, with when you lose basically your team leader in a lot of senses now, um, it was going to be cause for struggle. Um, but like I said, it, it, I, like Colby said, it was definitely not close as it seemed to be only a ten point win because it was it was definitely hovering more in the twenties range and it just got down towards the end of the game. Um, but good stat lines all around. Just Armando could not be stopped. And so mm-hmm. we just we finally started just playing to our strengths and just get, kept giving the ball to Armando, um, and he had an absolute monster game. He had twenty eight points, eighteen rebounds. Is this this was one too? He had twenty eight, eighteen, and five. It's the first of that stat line in Carolina basketball history. He had twenty eight points on uh, thirteen shots. That's efficient. That's really, if you good. can be if you can be anything, you can be efficient. That is. Near the efficiency level of national champion center Tony Bradley. <laughs> Almost. Um, but, but yeah, the other storyline from that game yeah. is the emergence of Puff Johnson. Puff Johnson. I mean, we've been talking about it for the past couple of months. He's been playing pretty well. But that was a premier performance from him, and what a game to do it. Yeah, 16 points. He had those two back-to-back threes. I believe that was early in the second half, and that I think that's one of those sequences that kind of, kind of put me at ease. I was like, okay, I think we're, we put that away. Um, mm-hmm. and just I think responded. that it seems like traditionally state can definitely be a coming out type game for Carolina players, where both they emerge against state and always become a fireballer against them, but it also becomes a come out game for them in general, and hopefully that's something that we see from Puff. Because I think that we've all seen a lot of potential in him. So sure. he could very well be playing himself into a starting role if he's still on the team next year. 
and I think it also depends on who's on the team next yeah, year, which but, they, we can talk about. And it makes Eric very excited for it because, like I said, Puff's just a person you can't help but cheer for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, did y'all listen to his interview on the Carolina Insider? I had not yet had the chance. I did He's not. got a little personality on him. <laughs> He's a, <laughs> it, was a, it was a really fun interview. I would suggest listening to it just to get the stories of him and Cam uh, battling in their driveway and one of them ending up in the bushes uh, bleeding. <laughs> so, <laughs> check out that interview. It's really cool. And then for the Syracuse game, uh, Senior Day, uh, Mav and I were both at the game on opposite sides of the arena, um, but I was coming from Raleigh, so I missed all of the Senior Day activities. Uh, Mav, it seemed like you got there pretty early. Yep, as always, like I said, I'm keeping to my uh, habits as a former band kid, getting there at 90 minutes till tip, um, and just sitting there taking in all the such. Uh, waving at Austin down <laughs> and the rest of the band getting everything ready as everybody was arriving. Um, but yeah, it was really fun just taking everything in because like I said, it's always good at this stage of life. It's always good to get back to the dome whenever you can. Um, and for a senior night kind of event too, that's always, it always makes it more important. We'll say though, it's a little underwhelming that the senior day stuff, they, it was a little bit different where they shifted it to the beginning um, and such. They didn't do speeches. It was kind of very quick. Uh, kind of got through it. I'm not sure if it's the sort of thing where maybe they didn't have much to say or because of how people feel about the season. But I, I feel like Leakey's still very much a crowd favorite. Brady's a crowd favorite. Ryan McAdoo even is a favorite just because of how long he's been there. Um, I hope that's something they reevaluate in the future. Sure. So did, sure, what did they that... do? What was it different? Because like when I heard they're moving everything to before the game, I thought that meant they were moving their speeches because everything else was already before the no. game. So the team came out, uh, they played tag once one and one, and then they did the managers, gave them a little something something, they took pictures, and then they just they called each of the seniors so it went leaky, Brady or Ryan Leaky, Brady or whatnot. And they, all, they just went down, high-fived everybody down the line, hugged the coaches, went center court, r- rinse and repeat two more times. They gave them the jerseys, raised it up, and that was it. And it was game time at that point. Gotcha. I mean, if I don't know the motivations behind taking away the speeches, maybe the students didn't, or the um, players didn't want to do that anymore, or – Maybe it's just like an expedition thing. I do think that it's probably ultimately the right move because, especially this year, because think about next year when the Duke game is senior day and let's say we win, it's always a little bit awkward uh, with like them begging the students to stay um, when they're all trying to sprint to, to Franklin Street. Yeah. I mean, it's completely understandable in that type of circumstance. I don't know if it's because of Hubert being in his first season, despite technically coaching Leakey all four of his years, that this is the first season of the head coach. He's only been with, Brady's only been with him with one year. And like I said, similar kind of situation, right? Maybe that contributed it to as well. So maybe the more we get into Hubert's tenure, perhaps that's something that comes back to you just because they actually can speak more on it. 
yeah, I, I definitely hope that's something they reevaluate. It was underwhelming in my opinion. That's a good point, Colby. I'm trying to think about like how they alternatives to that that they could do, but I think that a lot of it is capturing the moment of the speeches happening right after the game on senior night that they couldn't recreate from doing it at a different game or doing it beforehand or like pre-recording them. Hmm. I would agree with that. There, there is something to it happening after the game, even hours where it was in a loss, it was still very emotional and such. Um, I would have very much still had those speeches be after the game, even in a loss. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because you always end with, we're not done yet. Let's move on to the game. Um, (laughs) That was something. Uh, (laughs) We were down by one point with a minute and a half left and managed to cover minus eight. (laughs) Eight and a half. If that's not Carolina (laughs) basketball, if you don't like that, you don't like Carolina basketball. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. I do not believe Cole uh, Swider has any more eligibility left or else I would uh, gladly uh, welcome him uh, to the Tar Heels next year. And then this is also Buddy's senior year, too? Yep. I don't know. You, when when number zero checked in, I'm like, there's two of them now. Yeah. How many Bayheims do you need to have a Syracuse basketball team? I think they would say zero because neither of them are very efficient. Well, I saw a lot of Syracuse fans on the interwebs upset, or they are ready for the Bayheim regime to to end. Yeah. Well, I saw a comment from a Carolina fan on Reddit that was accurate, that when I was 14 years old, I thought, you know, Bayheim has a lot of, Syracuse has a lot of issues with the zone against really good inside teams. I think they're going to figure it out eventually. And I'm saying that same thing 10 years later at 24 years old. I also saw that comment. Yeah, that's, I mean. Maybe it's because the zone is the problem. Maybe, I, I just don't understand the motivation. I really, like, to get, like, if I'm breaking the, um, if I'm breaking kayfabe right now, like, I understand why a team would want to play a zone but Syracuse always has these long rangy dudes I'm like man up (laughs) just play just play man defense and and just bother people all night like besides whatever tiny guard you have at the moment you're going to have like everyone else on the floor is like six seven with seven foot wingspans like use that well and beyond that like I think a lot of the cycle like a lot of the reason why they run the zone is because teams this is the only time all year that a team's going to play against the zone. So in theory, you're not prepared, but I think at this level, you're good enough to be able to combat the zone the majority of the time. And I feel like a more effective strategy, if Bayheim wanted to commit to something like that and psyching out teams and something of that nature is varying the types of defense that you play throughout the game. So playing a two, three, but also playing a three, two or a one, two, one or a trapping zone or pressing and using variation because then it's hard to fall into a rhythm. Yeah, what like exactly what Georgia Tech does, where every time you come down the floor, you're looking at a different defense. No, I would I would agree with that. On the Carolina side of things, um, 
wow, I totally lost where that sentence was going. I, Caleb Love is one and... of the most interesting basketball players that I've ever seen play. I don't think I've ever seen Caleb anybody Love like save him. Senior Day. Yeah, he did. I like I said, I've ever seen thirty-five minutes like him, where he can be what, like three of fifteen from the field for the first thirty-eight minutes of the game, and then turn into Kobe Bryant for the last seven. Yeah, I mean, struggled for thirty-five minutes, but then for an extra ten, um, he was unconscious. unbelievable. Um, when so we're down one. Uh, Syracuse is inbounding the ball. Leakey's on uh, Buddy Bayheim and Buddy fumbles it out. And we get the ball with like 13 seconds left. And they get down and it gets over the, um, to Caleb. And Caleb just pops it up. And everybody in there gave the – like the, saying, When, oh, when God, Theo when shoots happened. a three, like the Theo shooting a three, no! And then it went in and everybody's like, yes! And so it went in, but seven seconds, I was like, way too much time. Yeah, but I, 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 like, I was feeling fine even if they made that shot because my thought was um, – I lost my train of thought. Oh, my thought was like even if they make a shot, like I don't expect them to take a three and I mm-hmm. feel confident enough to beat them in overtime because they stink. Yeah. But still, I just – Gerard came down and he got within the arc and I'm like, oh, this is going in. I've, I know how this ends. But we go to overtime, but we, we definitely dominate the overtime. Um, hit several threes. We get good stops. Um, Swider fouls out. That was kind of the backbreaker. It was about with like two minutes or something like yeah. left. And, I mean, I think and, the it, game and it was, was on a ticky tack foul too. And he, 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 like you could see the realization coming on his face, and everybody caught onto it and started doing the wave and stuff. Um, yeah. That was the moment. I, like I think we got it in the bag. I think the game was pretty much over by then, but that was like the point where I was like, yeah, this is over. Like I could turn the game off now if I wanted to. He had 36 points. And it, it was not it's easy baskets. Mo- he, he's shooting like mo- in people's – like he's got hands and face and he's hitting shots just unconsciously. It was the yeah. second most by an opponent ever at the Dean Dome, they said, which is very impressive. Yeah, it reminded me of um, – was it Melo Trimble who went off the Maryland game? Might have been. Even more recently, Terquavion Smith had 34. Yeah. Or um, what's his face? The guy on Miami that we hated, Chris Likes. Yeah. yeah. But all in all, uh, we it seems like we have completed the "don't do anything stupid" portion of our schedule. Yeah, we clinched the double bye, which is huge, and I think that unless we get embarrassed in our first game in the ACC tournament, and even then, we should still be a tournament team. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to believe like how up and down it is, and how like up in arms everyone's been. But we're twenty two and eight, and we only had five losses in conference. Um, I mean, that's pretty impressive yeah. for our first, except for Hubert's first outing as coach. He had more wins yeah. than Roy Williams did in his first year. And like, yes, to be fair, the ACC kind of sucks this year, but still, like a shitty ACC isn't bad, and like. I think that we are a better team than we get credit for. Like, there are times, don't get me wrong, there are times where we are absolutely god-awful. But as we showed in overtime yesterday, granted, I don't think that we can play like that 40 minutes out of a game, six games in a row. But when we play like that 
I like us against a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. We'll be a scary double-digit seed potentially, but it, I, going back to it, the fact that we got the double buy, I think is is huge because I also didn't see us being a go the distance kind of team. Um, mm-hmm. So having only three games between us and a potential tournament championship is a lot better than having to play four or five games. But yeah, now I'm one thing too. Uh, did y'all see the interviews post game? Um, I so question before I we get into that. Mav, where did you park? I parked at Jackson Deck. Did it also take you seventeen hours to get out of the parking deck? Yeah, I just sat there for a good fifteen minutes waiting for all the cars to come down. Yeah, I was like, this is worse than a football game, and there's like a third of the people here. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, um, it took us a while to get to the parking deck, so we missed a, a good amount of the interview, so I'm not sure which one. So, Th- Leaky specifically was asked how it felt running through the tunnel for the last time. Uh, and he had a little pause. He's like, maybe it's not the last time, basically. <laughs> Paraphrasing. Um, Leaky has his COVID year. It's all... As the season has progressed, and as Leaky has progressed over the course of this season, that started to, those whispers have started to come a little bit more into focus. And so, there's still a lot of roster management that's up in the air for this team. We will have to finish the season before it. But one thing I posed to Colby off the podcast was, A, would you, just flat out, would you take Leaky? for his fifth year or if you're posed with a situation if you would you take leaky fifth year or the number one transfer product uh, prospect that goes into the pool who would you take irregardless of position i have a lot of qualifiers for that question but like if you say no qualifiers just that question gun to your head you have to pick i'd probably pick leaky but like if we're talking like if the number one transfer is Cam Johnson, then I'm taking Cam Johnson. If the number one transfer is Christian Keeling, then yeah, I'm taking Leaky over the mid range guy. <laughs> because That's I think Leaky right has now. really turned it up as of late. He really has, and it's been super impressive, and I love to see it. Uh, he he's really figured something out. It's really it's been super fun to watch. Uh, the past couple of months. Yeah, I think that, that like... being... Oh, sorry, go, go ahead. No, you, you go, go ahead. You were, I interrupted your thought. You were saying that being... <laughs> so, yeah, that being said, I, I imagine whoever the top transfer in the country is going to be um, is going to be a pretty decent ball player, probably coming from a high major or something like that. So... I would be more inclined to take that person, but it would. The nostalgia factor is definitely like it's playing in a little bit. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is think- I'm now incredibly intrigued by a leaky puff kind of duo yeah. in the lineup. I think that I'm pretty sure I said it from his first year that I thought that his peak was basically being a continuation of Theo. Like in that lineage of Theo and Tokido of people who are incredible athletes but very unpolished basketball players, 
but I think that he is turning into a more polished basketball player than people in that archetype. Yeah, I mean, I definitely a, very much a two-way kind of game, a quintessential two-way game. Um, was all yeah. over the place, getting steals, getting rebounds. He was scoring, which is the, the biggest thing. I yeah, think. that's the thing. Is like I think that we've always known that we can rely on him defensively. Um, like he, we can always count on him to put on the clamps. But now he's becoming a capable offensive player, which makes him incredibly dangerous because he's not just a minus or a black hole on one end of the floor. Mm-hmm. I wish he and to be fair, like, he's got the length to do it too. Night. I wish I wish it didn't have to always just be baseline threes. I want him to be able to attack the basket too. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, like we saw last night, we can we still will sub him out offense, defense, like when we subbed him for Puff. But it's not like when we have him on the floor, we are playing four on five, mm-hmm. like when Caleb is in Nate Britt mode. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's, it's oh, just something to ponder. I, I compared him to Kobe. I said, oh yeah, yesterday. I said yesterday in a different. I said to Greg that he is either Nate Britt or Kobe White and nothing in between. <laughs> I mean, we might have some more things to talk about. One thing I thought was interesting, I mean, I kind of make sense, especially seeing how well Syracuse shot the ball, um, that uh, Kerwin was a healthy scratch. Or, he was? I didn't realize that. Yeah. No minutes. Didn't even realize it was until the end. I mean, and I, I get it. Like I said, if you put him on either Swider or Bayheim, I think they would have scored a lot more. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like, just being realistic this year, he hasn't shot well enough to make up for his other mm-hmm. shortcomings. We've caught up on the shooting side. Now we're trying to catch up on the defensive side. Yeah. So. It was out of necessity last year. Well, he was legitimately good last year. Mm-hmm. But yes, I agree. All right. What else from well, let's let's do this. Duke game is on Saturday. As we are speaking right now, uh, we'd like to do a Twitter space after that game. So uh find us on Twitter after that and we will We'll hop on. We'll do a little. We'll talk. We'll we'll process our feelings uh, after that game over at least how it went and what our path um, to an ACC title and then the NCAA tournament looks like after that. Uh, how are y'all feeling about? Go ahead, Aaron. Oh, uh, my question is somewhat related to the Duke game. It's not about like how we're feeling, but I saw a tweet that I'm interested in gauging your thoughts on because I got in a disagreement mm-hmm. about this. If we win on Saturday, regardless of – without considering, like, what happens during the game, like, just say we win in, like, a, a, a solid win, nothing, like, extravagant happens during the game, is that a top-five game in the history of the rivalry? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, it would definitely – given the various storylines that go into it, this is a really good Duke team. This is Coach K's last game. This is a for for a lot of people an underwhelming season for Carolina basketball in general. Not necessarily thing on the players or whatnot, but just hasn't been 
to expectations overall. If we go in Cameron and, and ruin that moment, um, it's, it, it'll be up there with ruining Reddick's moment in 06. I don't know. I name, I think that it has the multiplier effect where anything that happens during the game, yes, will be multiplied by about a billion. Like if we win by a buzzer beater or if we absolutely beat the brakes out of them, yeah, it'll probably be a top five game in the history of the rivalry. But I named five games that I feel like off the top of my head would probably beat that game, at least on paper for me. You, so are you talking about in the rivalry in general or on the Carolina side? On the Carolina side. So there's Even the on, if, if it's on Duke side, there are probably five more. Yeah. So I think eight points in 17 seconds. Yeah. Uh, the Stackhouse game. The uh, 05 Marvin. 05, yeah, Marvin. 06 um, ruining the, senior day. Yes. The Capel half-court shot. Um, well, I already have, I have one over that. Bloody Montrose is over Capel. That, that's six right there. Yeah. And granted, like, there are a lot of iconic moments in the rivalry. And like I said, I think that anything that happens on Saturday is going to be multiplied by about a billion because it's stakes in the game that haven't ever really been seen because Dean and Roy, neither of them had a retirement tour season. Like, I think that the only thing that is similar is probably Reddick's senior night. And this, that pales in comparison to this, I would say. Mm-hmm. But that's, this is all wishful thinking. Duke is a very good team. It's going to be in yes. Cameron. They're 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 coming ready to play. Yeah, but like I I I, I don't know. I, I guess for me, it's like also part of it is that all of those teams and all of those games, except for the Reddick Senior Night, were all national championship winners or contenders. Mm-hmm. And like we've said, like being realistic, I think that we all have we all are not expecting a Final Four appearance out of this team. Not expecting one. Well, like, I think that we would all be surprised by a Final Four appearance. Not shocked, but very pleasantly surprised. Surprised. Whereas yeah. in 05, we were the best team in the country. And any of those 90s years, we were really, really freaking good. I don't know. I but that that just that force multiplier of it being if it being K's last game, I I think that that matters a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting thought experiment. No, for sure. Um, so I take it y'all are not very positive about this game. I mean, it's listen, very tempered. Very tempered. I'm anything I'm not, can happen. Yeah, I'm not going to be talking much game this week. I'm just ready to go get the game over with. Win or lose, like I said, it's it's well. Right now, we're uh, I believe we did officially clinch the double buy in the ACC yeah, tournament. Yeah, we with clinched the win. by winning yesterday. We're on Duke's side, so this may not be the last time we see Coach K officially. Are we? I believe last I checked, I believe because four would play one if we make the yeah. quarterfinals. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. The last time I checked, we were three, but mm-hmm. that was like in the middle of Monday, so things might have changed since then. Um, but yeah, it might not be the last time, but it would be the last time on this court, <laughs> which is good enough for me. Yeah. And, and like, I think that 
ACC tournament games obviously count, but they count in a different way because there's not the anticipation leading up to it that you have a, a an, like two weeks or an entire month like you do from the first to the second game. Mm-hmm. Even if about half the time we do play them a third time in the ACC tournament. I think that our keys to the game on Saturday are we need to actually shoot the ball well. Caleb and RJ need to have Kobe White games, not Nate Britt games. Um, And we need to have a better starting defensive scheme than we had in round one, which I think probably means Leaky guarding Paolo as opposed to Armando. Yeah, I I think that's where we start. We start there and then we go. I think you have Um, to start there because, like, worst comes to worst – we can afford Leaky being a foul sponge. We cannot afford Armando being a foul sponge. No, we cannot. We and cannot. I would rather sacrif- make that sacrifice defensively for the sake of the offense. Yeah, it might be a situation in which we need to find offense outside of Brady Manic. Yeah. Because I, I imagine they're going to game plan for him more since he did so well in game one. And I also think that a key is that we need to get over our road game woes that we have had for much of the year. Because if there's any game where you can't have that happen, it's at Duke. But, I mean, listen, it's like we always say. Throughout the records, throughout the rankings, anything can happen. Hopefully Caleb Love goes supernova again like he did last year. I would appreciate that. Please. All right, what else from the college basketball world? Um, the top six teams lost on Sunday, which is first, absolutely First bonkers. time in the AP ranking era. Blood yeah. week. Um, so Duke could very well – well, did they get number one or did uh, – No, it, it was – no, it was Gonzaga was still number one. I think it was Gonzaga, Baylor, Duke – I forget okay. who four it was. So – if if Duke was number one going into this game, it definitely then I, go- yeah. yeah even bigger yeah. Also, I think Chet Holmgren is incredibly overrated. Any game that Gonzaga plays a team with competent bigs, he stinks. I mean, he's got to eat a couple sandwiches, <laughs> beef up a little bit. Now, Drew Timmy's Drew Timmy's the heart of that team. But yeah. Also, did y'all see the um? I forget what conference it was where it the bracket is the bottom four teams play advance, play the next bottom two teams advance, play the next bottom two teams all the way up. So the top two teams of the conference have like a quintuple bye. No, I did not see that. Let me see. Oh, I com- did see that in the Western in the WCC. Yeah, I thought it was the West Coast Conference. How do you feel about that? I. I think it's good and it's bad because I do think that the regular season should matter more than conferences give it credit for, but I think that's a little much. It's a little much. I also think it's a little bit of the that conference, because I don't want to say all the syllables again, that conference protecting its own interests, especially with Gonzaga. If the more Gonzaga wins... I'm sure the better to pay out for the conference. 
so it's better to have Gonzaga get as high of a seed as possible to give them a, mm-hmm. a the best chance or whoever the best team in that league is because I would not be surprised if sometime within the next 15 years St. Mary's has a ridiculous team and and they make a, a similar type run that Gonzaga normally does. Um, by that, yeah. I mean to the championship game and no further. Um, but I, I understand the reasoning, but as far as like an, an entertainment sort of venture, it's not that. Honestly, conference, I don't know about y'all. I love conference tournaments. I think that conference tournament time of year is sometimes better than some weekends of the NCAA tournament. I agree. I think I do have a fundamental issue with conference tournaments in mid-majors where in one bid conferences where a team that's really good in the regular season gets screwed over because they have one bad game in conference tournament time. Um, But I don't really know how best to balance that because I think that a conference tournament is also an equalizer where if a team is really good, but they have an injury for the first half of the season, uh, the first half of conference play, they still have a chance. And so I yeah. think there are positives and negatives to it. But yes, it's always very fun. I'm going to try to roll out those TVs at work or whatnot. Watch, I know. Watch I'm, games. I'm debating bringing my tablet to work and <laughs> I'm watching there. Okay, um, I'm annoyed by Aaron Rodgers, and there's nothing else in the NFL I want to talk about. NBA is starting to ramp back up, um, but I'm not super interested in any of that either. But let's talk about Love is Blind. Yes, the real, oh, wait, the really that, important can topics. I say one more, can I say one more sport thing, and then I will turn off my brain because I refuse to watch Love is Blind? Yes. Rob Manfred is the worst, and so Agreed. is Scott Boris. I think Rob Manfred thinks people Manfred. That's what I'm gonna call him. Call him from now on. I think the I think the Fred man thinks <laughs> that the rest of us are stupid, <laughs> which and which is insulting to me specifically. Um. Yeah, I think sucks. that I genuinely think, and this is saying a lot. I think that he is the worst commissioner that we will ever see in any sport in our entire lifetimes. Like, I know that we love to hate Roger Goodell, but he is a saint in comparison to Rob Manfred. There are, like, there are very, very legitimate bones to pick with, um, with Goodell, who was, with Stern, David Stern yeah. was in our lifetime. With Adam At Silver. least in our living sport memory. With um, Bud Selig. Yeah, Silvers. Yeah. All of them have legitimate bones to pick, but I think that they were all good at their jobs. I think that Manfred is a terrible commissioner. Yep. I would agree. Okay. You can talk about it. No, no, I, I would agree just from, like, he called the World, World Series trophy a hunk of metal. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And now he's cheesing on a stage talking about, um... He's cheesing on the stage, talking about how there won't be like an opening day. Like I don't know. And I don't even like baseball. Two years like or a year ago, he called the players greedy for being nervous about coming back during COVID. Or was no two years ago? It was twenty twenty. Whatever fucking year it was twenty twenty. 
I don't know. Yeah, he's a clown. That's it. All right, you don't have to clap either. You don't have to clap. I'll just I'll just look at my waveform so I can find it. Um, all right, y'all. We are gonna go ahead and get out of here. We will talk about Love Is Blind next week, uh, because it's late and our uh video messaging software to remain nameless um is kicking us off. So <laughs> we will again. Duke game, uh, Twitter space afterwards. Uh, we should probably do a test run of that at some point this week. Um, so if you find us in a Twitter space and we're just, um, we're just messing around, just come hang out with us. We might probably, it won't be longer than five or 10 minutes. Um, then we got something for you on Saturday. So enjoy your week. Go to hell Duke. Um, talk to y'all later. <laughs>